And here is Rosario now. Homer, triple, single. Struck out his last time up. Gonsolin with his 31st pitch, pitching in a second inning. In the air, right field, hit well. And this one is up and out. A home run for Rosario. A three run blast. It's not going to be a cycle, but he'll take that every day. Rosario with his second homer. A four hit night. And the Braves bust it wide open here in the ninth inning. It's nine to two. But you'd love a cycle. Hey now, welcome to the Sportscasters, my name is Steve Bennett, this is episode number 22 of season 11, which of course is the 10 year anniversary of the Sportscasters, how did I do 11 seasons in 10 years, well I think I said before, but one time we wanted to use the gimmick of the season premiere to book a guest. So we just ended a season abruptly so that the next episode could be the season premiere so we could book a guest. Uh, but ever since then, the seasons just run yearly. So we've only used that gimmick the one time. Uh, but this is the 10th year of the Sportscasters. And one thing I've been trying to do this year is to make sure people who haven't been on in a while uh, but have been a long time part of the program make an appearance this year. And one of those people is Katie Baker, and she's going to be on tonight. Katie was first on in 2011 when she was over at Grantland. And she had just left her job at Goldman Sachs and started to write for Bill Simmons' website. And the sportscasters were the first podcast she was on. And she's been on a bunch. And our lives have sort of mirrored each other's. We got married around the same time. We had our first kid around the same time. She's had a second one. I'm not going there, Katie. I'm sorry. Uh, she's a Yale grad. My brother went to Yale. Um, and we've been friends. We follow each other on social media. She's a really great person and a great writer. And she hasn't been on in a little bit just because for a little bit, Grantland, or excuse me, Ringer, people weren't doing shows as they were working out their issues with the union or whatever. And I didn't want Katie to have to kind of worry about that so I didn't ask her for a bit and then we've just been working it out around our schedules like I said she's out in California two kids young family uh, working through the pandemic we've had it scheduled a couple times and it didn't work out but finally we did about an hour today and I'm excited for you to hear that and that'll be next or no yeah next also on the show today it's a debut that's another thing I've been trying to do in this season is never go more than one episode without a debut. I've been trying to, at the very least, every other episode get a new voice on. Another thing I've been trying to do in this season is to focus a little bit more on sports sports media. And this guest accomplishes both of those things. Jeff Agrest from the Chicago Sun-Times, the paper of Ebert. 
He's going to join us today to talk sports media, which he writes for the Sun-Times. He's also a sports editor there and edits some of the columns that uh, Rob Mish, who was on a recent episode, writes uh, for the Chicago Sun-Times. Rob actually quoted me in one of his articles about the uh, Blackhawks over or under, and I said take the under. So shout out to Rob and appreciate him uh, giving me a uh, quote in the Chicago Sun-Times. Kind of a thrill for me uh, to be mentioned in that paper. Like I said, the paper of Ebert. And everybody knows what a big fan I am of Siskel and Ebert. That's really cool. So what we're going to do today is uh, I want to talk a little bit about playoff baseball in a second. Uh, Then after that, we'll have Katie Baker on from Ringer. Uh, Then we'll come back. There's a lot of moving parts in the book club. We'll talk about all that, including an interview I recorded today that will be a part of the next uh, Sportscasters episode. Uh, And then we will do the interview with Jeff, and then we'll end the show with one last thing and some plugs. So that's the plan for today. And Plugs is busy, too, because I did another show. I hosted. I got some stuff to say there. Uh, So stick around if you can. It's going to be a great episode. Uh, today but first things first the baseball playoffs are one of my favorite things in the world um and it was one of those things that I was a little heartbroken that I just wasn't that into last year and it was around the time when I would come on here and just say you know something's up my heart just isn't in these sports the way it should be and I'm glad to say that that that's over uh I've absolutely loved the playoffs. They got started with a bang, a great wild card game between the Yankees and the Red Sox, uh, a really good wild card game between the Dodgers and the, uh, geez, whoever the Dodgers hit a walk off on. Uh, I guess it was the Cardinals. Uh, Now that I think about it for a second, who fired their manager. Uh, But we got going with that. Then the epic five game series. Between the 107-win Giants and the 106-win Dodgers. And the Dodgers win that in five. And uh, you see the Giants' 107-game season go right down the Shitola. Uh, and the American League, I mean, the Red Sox kind of coming out of nowhere. Having a real yo-yo kind of a season. And eliminating the Yankees and then eliminating the Rays. So kind of crowning themselves as kings of the AL East. And the Rays are just so generic to me. I'm so glad they're out and gone. They're dumb stadium and it's horrible market, horrible team. I hate everything about the Rays. And now they're playing another team everyone hates, the Astros. And as I record this, it's three to two Astros. Uh, Red Sox took a Red Sox lost game one, won game two and three. Now have lost four and five. It, which is kind of what their season has been with the ups and downs. Uh, But the lead, of course, is the Braves. And I've said many times on this show, I've been a Braves fan since the early 90s because of the opportunity to watch all their games on TBS. There was no regional sports networks there. Then they were the one team I could follow every day. And they were a great team to watch with, uh, you know, Maddox and... And, and Glavin and Smoltz, of course, and Dave Justice, who was my favorite player. And, you know, I really love the A's, right? That group that went to the World Series in 88, 89, and 90. But I could only watch them during the playoffs, and I would love doing it. And I watched those games like crazy and rooted for them. 
really hard, but then there was that huge gap, and I just didn't watch them. You know, and that's when the Braves really took f- fire in 91 and won the division, went from worst to first, and went all the way to Game 7 against the Twins. And then when they won the NL the following year on a walk-off, I actually just told the story to Paula uh, about my mom coming home from work and it being in the ninth inning and watching that with her, just her and I watching that and her getting into it. And, you know, the Cabrera hit and Sabrine beats out Barry Bonds' throw. Just, uh, you know, a lot of great moments with the Braves over the years, but they haven't been to the World Series now since 1999. And that was the year that Tammy and I started dating. And, uh, you know, we've been married for seven years now. And we dated for a long time before we got married. You know, so it's been a long time for a team that seemed to be in the mix and in the World Series almost every year when I... I mean, they were in the World Series in 91. They were in the World Series in 92. They in the World Series in 96. They were in the World Series in 99. You know, so they they were they and and when they weren't in the World Series, they were in the ALS or the NLCS. You know, they were in the NLCS in '92. Uh, they were in the World uh, the NLCS in '93. Um, did I even say they were in the World Series in '92? Because they were against the Blue Jays. So at '91, '92, '95, the one they won, '96 and '99. It's five World Series. The first decade of my fandom. And in the years that they weren't in the World Series, they lost in 93 to the Phillies in the NLCS. You know, they lost in 98 to the Padres in the NLCS. Uh, there wasn't a World Series in 94. You know, 93, when they lost to the Phillies, they had the unbelievable pennant race. And last year, I was into the team. I wanted them to win. I wanted them to go to the World Series. They were up 3-1. to one. And then as it kind of fell apart, I just groaned. You know, I just grown, eh. Kind of had this good for the Dodgers feel or something, you know. And um, But this year's been so great, and they've been so fun. And they actually got me to throw a book against the wall last night when Cody Bellinger hit a three-run home run to tie game three. Threw a book against the wall. I threw You Are Looking Live by Rich Podolsky uh, against my wall. Um, but they bounced back tonight. And uh, it's 3-1. to one. They got three chances to win a game here and go to the World Series. So, fingers crossed they do. And if they don't, next time I'm on this show, I'm sure I'll tell you about how much it pissed me off uh, that they didn't. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Katie Baker. <laughs> If the great Jane Levy is the first lady of the sportscasters, our next guest is the second. She's a Yale grad from New Jersey who's worked for Grantland, well, Goldman Sachs to Grantland, and now to Ringer where she's a senior writer. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the talented and beautiful Katie Baker. Welcome back, Katie. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm great, thanks. How are you? Oh, I'm very good. I'm excited to have you back. I was telling my brother you're going to be on. I said, Katie is the author of what is now my second favorite article on the internet. 
because of course the one about me in Sports Illustrated is now number one. But but number two is The Future Is Now, which I probably read, I don't know, once a quarter. You know, once every three months or once every six months, I'm feeling like I need something. I read that article, your piece on Grant. It was Grantland, actually, still. Um, about, yeah. Yep, R- yeah, RIP Grantland. Yeah, RIP Grantland. Which, you know, and I like Ringer and everything. But, but hey, hey flag, flags fly forever, right? <laughs> That's right. And that article is still there, and I read it all the time. Because you just wrote my favorite thing about my favorite night. You know what I mean? And you actually quote my brother. He's not quoted in a lot of stuff because he was just a sophomore. He wasn't one of the stars on the team necessarily. Although what made that team great is that they were they were all the stars. And I think like a big reason they beat Mass Lowell in the semifinals is they weren't prepared for just Keith Lane to just literally play all four lines every shift and just roll them and every line being equally as fast and four check equally as hard and you know i think that that's why they were i mean they're still the only team to beat three number one seeds um and north dakota they beat three number one seeds and north dakota to win that championship so you know everyone always i think some people say oh it wasn't that great of a team they were the you know the 15 seed but well the other team the teams they beat minnesota uh with bukestad you know a pretty a really good minnesota team uh, North Dakota yeah, with, Mr. with Mr. Hockey. Yep. Uh, North Dakota with two of the top ten uh, finalists for the Hobie Baker, um, and Corbin Knight and um, Danny Christo. Then uh, Mass Lowell, who was the first Hockey East team to win the champion, the regular season and tournament championship that year. And then Quinnipiac, who was number one all year, um, had Hartzell, who what didn't end up winning the Hobie Baker for some strange reason probably should have was the best player in the country all year that had you know the loaded team that they had and had beaten them three times already in the season so a pretty in- incredible run and you know obviously Andrew Miller and Kenny Agostino and Jesse Root had that line that was really great and um, really important but also like the North Dakota game my brother had two assists in the third period you know their line had two goals to, to help win that game you know, in the national championship game, you know, you had Clinton Bourbonnet and Orzetti uh, score goals. You know, two of the four are by those guys. You know, in the um, in the game against Mass Lowell, a freshman defenseman who was eventually the captain and one of the great uh, Yale hockey defensemen in general, Mitch. Uh, Mitch, I can't think of Mitch's last name right now. Chicago kid. Anyway, he scored his first college hockey goal, you know, in the Frozen Four. So the team just, just, yeah, ro- I remember loaded. like yeah. being at that game and like I, it was in Pittsburgh and I had been to Pittsburgh, you know, doing NHL stuff. And it was so, you know, I was, I knew I'd be covering the frozen four regardless. Like I, I wasn't covering it because Yale made it. I was covering it to cover the event. And so when Yale made it, my first thought was that I was just so excited because it meant, a lot of my friends would be coming to Pittsburgh and right. I would, you know, yeah. be able to mix like, you know, like see my friends while on a work trip. Um, and you know, I just could never have anticipated what would come of that particular tournament, you know, especially that semifinal game you mentioned, like I still remember sitting in the press box, 
you know, thinking to myself, be professional, right. be professional. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I'm like sitting next to someone and, you know, grabbing their arm every now and then. So I don't, you know, make any sounds. And, um, it, it was just a, you know, it was really fun to be able to write that piece and to, to experience that moment. And, 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 you know, like I said, a lot of my friends were in town. So then, um, you know, you talk about how you still, go back and read that article and talk about that game. Um, you know, me and my washed up friends <laughs> who weren't even on the ice that night, we still talked about that game too. So um, definitely one of the more fun memories I have from, you know, from covering hockey. Yeah. And that, you know, that mass low game, Massachusetts low got both of their goals in about a 20 second span. And like, other than that, they barely touched the puck. I mean, when, Andrew Miller scored a goal. He scored the overtime winner. Was, I think about seven minutes into the overtime. Mass Lowell hadn't had a shot since the, about the 13-minute mark of the third period. And yeah. I just remember as every minute of the overtime went, me like going to my brother and saying, like, they're going to score on their first shot. And we're going to lose this game because... Yeah. That happens in hockey games. Yeah, when you dominate someone so bad and you can't put them away, you know, I just remember having that feeling. Um, Now I know why all those Stanley Cup commercials are all about being speechless, said sophomore Anthony Day. I don't even know how to deal, really. I literally have no idea what to say. (laughs) I I was thinking it was Dave Lazo that was the one you were sitting next to. I could be wrong about that, but I don't remember who it was. It was, um, yeah, I forget. I I remember having to apologize to them <laughs> afterwards for you know bruising their wrist. <laughs> yeah, and I had been that was a rough year for me. I had been sick that year and had a big surgery. And I remember when during the season, uh, the, so a couple things about that season. They had went to around Thanksgiving, during Thanksgiving actually, they had went out to Colorado and they beat. Denver and Colorado College and that was the first time I think we kind of said like okay this is a team that can beat anyone and they would be real streaky and then in February Jeff Malcolm was hurt and Mitch Wittick is his name I don't know I couldn't remember it before but shout out to Mitch um uh their their goalie was hurt and they had lost five games in a row including two to Quinnipiac and I remember my brother calling me and I had just had bowel resection surgery I was in the hospital and he called me, and he was just, like, really, really down. And, you know, when you're a hockey player like that, you, you leave home. I mean, he left home as soon as you graduated high school. So he'd been gone for, you know, four years already, five years. And this is the first time. He's just like, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be here. You know, maybe I, this, maybe I shouldn't have done this. Like, you're in the hospital. Maybe I should be there with you. Like, what am I doing? We have rules, coaches, masks, whatever. Like, they were all so down, and I was just like, Man, I'll smack your face. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm going to be just fine. You know, you're going to be fine. And we'll just see each other in Pittsburgh. How about that? And just the fact that it happened. You know what I mean? Like that somehow it was maybe more miraculous than I made it than him. But just like the fact that it that it all played out. Yeah. And then, you know, the very last game of the college hockey season that year, they needed to go their way. So it was Michigan versus Notre Dame. It was the last ever CCHA championship game. And they needed Notre Dame to beat Michigan, who had been to 23 straight NCAA tournaments. 
So if Michigan won, they'd get the last bid. Because what happened was the Atlantic got two teams, Canisius and Niagara, um, because yeah. Niagara was going to make it regardless and Canisius, and didn't win their tournament. Canisius did, so they got their auto bid. So that almost forced Yale out. And Michigan needed could have stole the bid, but Notre Dame won the game just for them to get in the tournament. Um, and then, you know, they got a really tough draw, obviously, uh, with Minnesota. And then yeah. if you beat Minnesota, oh, it's probably going to be North Dakota. So, But, yeah, just an unbelievable run, and I love this article. And I also love how most of the embedded videos are still live, too. Um, oh, I'm surprised to hear that because yeah. usually I go back to old and it's a it's a it's a wasteland of uh yeah of dead know, dead dead links, YouTube links. <laughs> kind of depressing sometimes but um it makes me wonder and maybe I, you can say this like you were one of the people who was at grantland and at ringer and ringer has been its own thing now probably a lot longer than grantland was at this point right is that we've gotten to the point where ringer is much older than grantland in the end was right I think so. I'm trying to think. Um, I think we're about as old. I think Grantland was about five years, and we've, yeah, and we've had a little more than five years of, of the ringer now. So um, I, I know that my oldest son is is almost six, and I the ringer began when he was like I don't know six months old or so. So um, kind of my my two children. <laughs> I do have another son, but uh, no websites to associate him with. But <laughs> yeah, Grantland uh, launched been, in been 2011. Five years now. Yeah, Grantland launched in 2011, yeah. and then Bill left in May of 2015. So we'll just call that the end of Grantland. I know it went longer, but once Bill wasn't there, I mean, it wasn't yeah, exactly the Grantland. effective. Uh, yeah, you're right. So yeah, we're now we're now, now a year older than them. What do you think? Grant? Yeah. What do you think Ringer does better than Grantland? or worse or whatever. Like what about um, working for both? Well, I mean, it's hard. I mean, for starters, I've always worked, uh, remotely. So, you know, even before, right. um, 2020, I was kind of already, you know, obviously it was a very different kind of working remotely um, than we went through, but, um, you know, I'd say what I've always, um, what's always come across to me at the ringer is just the level of, um, just sort of like being there's such a creative group of people that are kind of constantly collaborating and are just really, I mean, I always feel like I'm, you know, old and out of touch because I am. And I have all these great like younger coworkers who are just so in tune with what's going on in culture and sports. And they're really smart. And honestly, they also just like as, kind of people and citizens of the world like I find like push me to be a better person and to be more you know considered in what I write and uh, how I write um so I mean that's like for me the experience has been a lot of that kind of thing just um you know maybe stuff that is more you know taking place like on our slack and it's kind of part of the process that people don't see but um that's what shines through to me. Just some of the people I work with are really interesting, funny, ridiculous people. Not that we didn't have a lot of that at Grantland too, but I think we've sort of, um, I, I can just think of any number of like kind of weird things that we've done and leaned into that have worked out. And, um, and it's just fun to see the amount of 
like iteration that um, that people are are happy to do, like trying new things. Um, if something's not working, not being afraid to kind of pivot to something else, and um, just people are just really creative in a way that's very invigorating and also just really kind and supportive. Um, and again, that's not that the same didn't exist at, at Grantland, but I just think there the energy is. Um, well, it's had more time to mature good. and play out too, like we said. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, for sure. And, and and I think what for you as someone who follows your work, because I follow the work of people who are nice to me. When you do this show, you do it for as long as I have. You just you read the people who are nice to you, and the people who aren't, you don't read as much. But um, you write about so many different things on Ringer. Yeah. You know, like so I have to thank you for the mayor of East Town. You know, your article you wrote it, and then. <laughs> I think you, you posted on Facebook that, you know, like, oh, if you haven't watched the last one or something, like, don't read this. <laughs> don't read And I was like, what the hell is she talking about? And then Tammy and I, I think, will say that it's our favorite thing we've watched together. And we've started dating in 99. We just loved it. Um, and then I remember you had a great piece about the League of Their Own, even though I still say she dropped it. I'm sorry. I know you worked hard to... <laughs> Worked hard to write a really nice to, piece to about my case. <laughs> to build your case that she didn't drop it, but I'm sorry. It just it just meant so much more to her, and as someone who has younger siblings, and um, especially as someone who has younger siblings and always wanted everything for them that I didn't have being before them. I just I don't know. Maybe it's my own story in my own head that I just like it better to think that <laughs> she dropped the ball for her sister. I and think I, that's that's the beauty of it. It's like the closing scene of the Sopranos, you know, it's yeah. like everyone, Which you can I, make a case for everything. And, um, yeah, it, you know, it's funny that, um, that league of their own piece specifically, I have such funny memories of reporting it because I spoke to a fair amount of the actors, um, and, and, you know, and you know, people involved in the, in the movie. And so I spoke with Lori Petty was one of them. And then John Lovitz was another. And, you know, it's always funny to interview celebrities because, yeah. And like, you know, because you're on the phone with them and you just recognize their voice because they're famous. But to have John Lovitz's voice on the other end of the phone, (laughs) like the craziest experience. (laughs) And he was talking about, I mean, he was just so funny and, I just remember I was kind of sitting and, you know, and, and he has this like old school Hollywood manager that, you know, checks email once a day. And so, you know, this guy was like emailing me in all caps to see if, you know, <laughs> if I had time to talk to John Lovett, you know, it, it was just such a funny thing. I mean, it, it's been fun. Um, you know, during the pandemic, I've done a lot more, uh, you know, TV and culture writing, you mentioned yeah. like Meredith town. Um, and that's been, you know, something kind of, I've always done it too. Did you write Tiger King too? You did write some on Tiger King, didn't you? No, I I never actually even saw Tiger King to be honest. Oh, I I have funny Tiger King I missed that one. And then once it was over, I didn't, I was like, I feel like I've missed the conversation. Yeah, no, Um, I wouldn't go back for it. I did stuff on hacks and (laughs) yeah, we did a big um, like Nickelodeon week. And so I wrote a big essay on growing up watching Nickelodeon and, um, you know, talk about you know, having younger coworkers. A big part of the piece was about how they don't you know, know anything about even it. Even people that are only yeah, like five years apart, have completely different experiences with 
you know, like I never watched SpongeBob because I was I was just a little too old. Right. And then Same. there's people that are like, but we watch Double Dare. That's all they. Right. Exactly. So you know, winners win. So. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You wrote. Um, what was it? Uh, the other show I remember you wrote about that I liked. Oh, Queen's Gambit. You wrote something on that. And so the Tiger King story, yeah. this is funny. So I have a chance to get Scotty Bowman. Someone asked me, like, do you want to interview Scotty Bowman? Must be, must have been Dater. And I was like, oh, of course I want to interview Scotty Bowman. And he's like, all right, give me your number and I'll give it to him and he'll call you. And I'm like, yeah, all right, sure, he will. You know? And so it's me in the pandemic and we're watching Tiger King. And my phone starts ringing. And I had put his number in my phone. And I looked down and it says Scotty Bowman. And I told Tanner, like, I'm going to have to pause this because Scotty Bowman's calling me. And you better believe someday I'm going <laughs> to tell my grandchildren that I was watching the Tiger King and the great Scotty Bowman called me and we had to pause it. So. Um, <laughs> uh, I, was, I was hoping the story was going to lead to the discovery that, uh, that Scotty Bowman was also, was also watching, also watching Tiger King. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I would be shocked. I don't think Scotty Bowman does anything that isn't somehow related to hockey. Um, I, don't, I think he spent the pandemic watching like the 87 Canada Cup all over again or something like that. <laughs> yeah, like watching some old season from start to finish. Yeah, he 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 binge watched the the 70 uh, finals. That he had this great story about being the coach on the losing bench for the Bobby Orgel. You know the famous one where he you know the oh, statue wow. and like because he was coaching yep. the Blues in that game. And I was like, what do you remember about that play? What did you see or whatever? He's like, yeah, you know, just, uh, see the guy coming, and he's—I know he's like got pretty good speed and everything. And I think like, well, this is probably over. <laughs> I just like, you know, uh, <laughs> he lost twelve straight, twelve straight Stanley Cup games to the Canadians wow. as coach of the Blues. They wow. went three years in a row and got swept all three years. And I was just thinking, like that's crazy to think about because in today's day and age, would they you, ever hire you, him? You then get two of those, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would, ne- he would yeah. never get hired by that team. Like the Tampa Lightning would never hire yeah. their next coach, being a guy that they beat three times a row in the Cup for. Like that, the fan base would revolt. You're hiring who? You know, he couldn't even get one game <laughs> and three tries, but. Oh, I, I wanted to go back real quick to. They're uh, like, well, he's he's our best winner, right? Yeah, yeah, and then it worked out. I mean, it seemed like it's a decent hire. I think he only won like ten cups there. Um, but uh, and the the reason I uh, we got away from it, but I got to go back to it. The reason I think your main thing was why would she tell the pitcher to get her out with a high fastball if she didn't want to win? And my thing is, is like, okay, she did want to win then. But she's standing at home plate for a while watching that play out and watching her sister busting around the bases. And she just decided in the end she just couldn't take it from her. And she just gracefully dropped it. I can see that. You know? I don't know. My favorite was was reading the people that were, like, talking about, you know, the the old-timey car, you know, would be so stiff on her ride back home uh with her you know her husband back from the war and you know her her muscles would have you know atrophied by the time <laughs> she, she turned around at yellowstone and came back and so she you know she just didn't have that like lactic acid you know to hold on and it was so funny to read some of people's uh 
people's takes on the we're you know we're talking about the uh the final scene in the league of their own right um you know there's sort of a, a question on you know whether a ball is intentionally dropped or not um if you haven't seen the movie it's never it's always a good time yeah to get, watch your, the league of their get your own. act I still, together yeah, i still think it's one that. of the great sports movies my five-year-old daughter's yeah. seen it 10 times already come on um really it holds up you know yeah oh yeah listen everything like so when space jam came out paul was like dad can i watch space jam i'm like yes you can but the original one you know like we watched the michael jordan space jam in this house she's like okay (laughs) (laughs) but uh like everything we watched. my son's really likes inspector gadget it makes me happy because i used to watch that all the time oh yeah me and my daughter watch the a-team together all the time since my all-time favorite show like we watch '80s wrestling together, you know, whatever. But I, it's like that scene in Big Daddy when he's like, he's talking about, you know, oh, I'm gonna teach him some cool shit along the way. And then there's that like music scene where he teaches him the sleeper hold and how to do that spit thing and all these. That's like that's that's one of my strategies. You wrote about a couple different articles about Steve Cohen and owning the Mets and whatever. Where do you stand a year into the? I mean, it got a little dicey there with the thumbs up and the thumbs down stuff. And I mean, Lindor, yeah. just praying that that was a one-off or that's going to be like the worst contract in sports soon. But what, where are you at <laughs> one year, one year? And as you watch so the Braves, I'm, I'm the Braves, actually, two wins away again, right? Goddamn Braves. Where yeah. <laughs> we don't need to bring the Braves into this. Um, I'm actually in a... I wouldn't say I'm in a good place, but I, you know, we mentioned Lindor. Like I, I really think next year will just kind of that he'll just revert to form a little bit. More I think so and, too. I, um, I honestly do. Yeah, like yeah. I, to me, he just seems like it. Just seems like one of those sort of obvious cases where total weird first year. Yep, um, I agree. In the broader weird world, and I, I'm not super worried about it. Like, do I think that down the road the contract's going to be an albatross? Like for sure, but. um but I also, it's not, you know, I'm not like suddenly down on that move um, or anything like that. I think, um, you know, it's funny, like, the, you know, I, I kind of have a, I don't really, when, baseball reminds me of hockey and, I, you know, there's always kind of these debates over gamesmanship and class. And, uh, and when I say class, I mean, you know, the, that's a classy move kind of class. Um, and you know, kind of the old timers that get mad when someone slips a bat or whatever it is. Or, um, I mean, I, I totally understand why the thumbs down thing was a dumb move. That was really stupid. A, yeah, really you know, stupid. kind of like yeah, yeah. Like that, that said, like honestly, like I thought it was as someone who, um, you know, kind of I, I don't have the same amount of like time to spend. Um, you know, paying attention to everything at all the time. So to me, like when that story kind of hit my radar, like, you know, later that night, I was like, that's kind of, I I thought it was funny. Like I wasn't, I wasn't sitting there being angry. I was sitting there being like, Oh boy, here we go. Like, this is ridiculous. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Not that I would would say that, like, you know, I totally understand why the fans were offended. Like I totally understand. But to me, it was just kind of, which, which is sort of what made it like a, just a classic sports story in the sense of like, this is so silly. Um, but, it, it, you know, a lot of people are spending a lot of time talking about it. And a lot of people are 
behind the scenes are probably spending a lot of time freaking out about it, like within the mess organization. And, um, you know, so to me, it was kind of just one more in like a subplot in what was a very strange season in which, you know, the Mets were in first place for a whole lot of the season, but I never was sitting there watching a Mets game feeling good about the season. Like even when they were in first place, it had kind of just, you know, much like our entire summer in the United States, like the vibes were just off. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Um, well, they were the best so of the worst me, for a while there. Like the division, you know, exactly. like the Braves, the Braves who eventually won it were at the trade deadline, two games below 500. You know, I think the Phillies were yeah. in first at that point, but yeah, I mean, they were never. Yeah. So like, so to me, like the, I'm kind of like happy for a reset. Um, sure. You know, I'm not like, I don't have, you know, I'm not like, oh, they're, they're perfectly positioned to do X, Y, and Z, but I just think, I just think like it all will start with Lindor is going to, there's just, I just would be so surprised if he repeated this past season, um, you know, and so, and once you kind of have him, you know, if you're able to get him at close to what he can do, that it's just a, you know, changes the, the landscape. I mean, that said, it's, you know, it, it was a unfortunate ending. I mean, I you mentioned the articles I wrote. I did a big piece about the season. Yeah, about his you tweets. know from yep. Cohen's tweets. Um, and you know, he got real quiet there at the end of the season. He didn't have a lot to say. You know, the the shine had worn off a little bit. Um, so you know, but when it all comes down to it, he he's a legit Mets fan. Um, not that that makes him a good owner or anything like that but you know whatever Mets fans are feeling about the team like I do believe that he feels much of that too so it's an interesting dynamic I mean obviously any team owner wants the team to do well but he does have that level of like passion involved so you know it just must be interesting to 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 feel that way and then also be the owner of the team and then also be a billionaire and (laughs) you know like money can't buy you a a title, uh, you know, you can get you close. But. The only thing I'll say is, like, I've been a Braves fan since the 80s only because in Buffalo we didn't have a team, and that was a team you could watch every day because oh, of TBS. Turner, yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah. you really got to – I mean, if you're going to really love a baseball team, you kind of got to be in that grind with them through the course of the summer. And they were, That's and the, then they were. It's for the same reason that uh, Pierre LeBron is a big Dallas Cowboys fan. <laughs> right. Yeah, one of the teams that were always on, right? You could f- actually follow that team. Yeah. Because, um, like, when I was – I've been a Saints fan since 87. The first 10 years of my fandom, I was waiting every 10 minutes for the 10-minute ticker to find out how the game was going most weeks. But um, the only thing I'd say, like, is from a Braves fan point of view, is, like, I know the answer there is always going to be to throw money at it. And that's gonna that will work once in a while, but also, like – I think at some point you need to have Freddie Freeman, Acuna, and Albies be from your organization. You know, like I, I yeah. think that you need to build a yeah. team that way still. And until they figure that part of it out, it's always going to be, well, throw money at it. Let's sign this guy for two hundred fifty million. Let's yeah. sign this guy for three hundred twenty-five million. You know, and the Yankees have shown, yeah. you yeah. know, that that doesn't always work. I mean. The Yankees have won one World Series since 2000. You know, they well, won, I mean, well, they won, I, the, won know, in 2000 and, and any against Met, the Mets. Any Mets fan that's also a Knicks fan can, uh, yeah. you know, 
Knicks for so long. And the Rangers it went through it. Constantly. The Rangers went through it in yep. the, you know, early those, 2000s. Those, like, pre-tack Rangers. Yep. Were, yep. You know, um, let's get Lindros. Yeah, I mean, let's get Yager. Let's like, get, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and when you get in that cycle where you're, like, you know, just kind of at best getting the eight seed and, you know, when you're having those seasons where our fans are thinking, like, all right, I'd almost kind of rather miss the playoffs than, you know, than get shellacked in the, or whatever it is. But you just get in that. It's, it, that's a tough cycle, and you know, in a lot for a long time in New York, I don't even know who the they is, but I just remember people would say, why are they doing this? And, um, Oh, because you know, you you, you can't rebuild in New York. Everyone wants to win now. But the thing is, that's not true. New York fans, as we can see kind of with what the the small strides that the Knicks have been taking, people appreciate a thoughtful rebuild. And, um, you know, with the Rangers, People certainly thought that that's what was happening, um, which was why it still might um, be everything I mean, that went. Yeah, no, they, they definitely still might be, but that's you know. But I think that's why it was just. I mean, I can't remember just being so flat out like surprised, like just by a move in so long from you know from that Rangers move in, in the spring. Like I just, it was just one of those like Scooby Doo, like shaking my head, like what. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes you might be surprised by a trade or something, but I just didn't even, it, it, I just didn't even see it coming. Um, and so it was, I just remember that was kind of a funny day where people were texting me like, what, what should happen? And I was like, I honestly, I don't know. And I, I kind of kept thinking there was going to be some crazy shoe that would drop or something like that. And, you know, it just ended up um, being the direction they wanted to take and, um, you know, the Rangers are kind of a team too, where I, I feel really positive about a lot of the talent they have. Um, that said, they're in a pretty tough division. Well, so it's going to be, you know, I they're going to have to be a, a good team. Right. <laughs> they're going to have to make the playoffs if they don't want to make the playoffs. I think what the Rangers need more than anything, and I was thinking about it with your piece about uh, Kasparzov, you know, who was the rookie of the year last year, not Lafiniere, you know. Um, and and yeah. and Capo hasn't been great. Yeah, it's like they just need the guys they drafted who were supposed to be great to find a way to be great. You know, and the Sabers have had this problem too. You know, drafting near the top of the draft for a while now, and yeah. it's like maybe it looks like maybe Darlene and Middlestat and Cozens might be the guys we thought, and that's what the Sabers need more than anything. And what the Rangers, I think, need more than anything, as much as they need Panarin to be a little bit better than he's been to start the year, you know, as much as they need Chris Jury to be a great GM, and I believe in Chris Jury just because I always believe in Chris Jury, but um, they just <laughs> they need Lafiniere to be great. Come on, he was. Yeah. Yeah. When does that happen in hockey that a guy as touted as him isn't great? I can't think of one. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Well, like you know, his but, his hype was on the level of not quite McDavid Eichel, not quite that year, but you know, yeah. probably close to the Matthews level. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, I, to me, he is another guy where like he's only. I 19. understand why yeah, people get. Yeah, exactly. I I understand why people get spooked, you know, quickly, but it, it just seems like one of those things where you know, in a couple of years, you'll look back and say, "Oh, remember when." 
you know, cherry picking some old article. Like, remember when? Uh, yeah, when Larry Brooks when said that he, Lafreniere was a bust or something. Like yeah, that. like when we yeah. talked about like the you know how he was a bust or whatever it is, or you know, is, is this the next Hugh Jessamine or yeah? <laughs> well, I think fans have been spooked by <laughs> this idea that everyone's Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel and Austin Matthews and can just be great in the NHL at 18 and 19 years old. And that's not the way it's been historically. You know, it's generational it's players. Like it, we're supposed to be generational. Like, fog, like when you think about it. Yeah. 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 Totally. But I, I'm glad that Casper's um, didn't stay in Russia. I'm glad he's where he, I'm glad he's here. I'm glad he, they figured that out. Yeah, no, that, that, that was a fun piece to write because, you know, there's certain players that are just, it's just fun to kind of go back and, and, you know, look at their trajectory and, um, and he's one of them just to, you know, to dominate the way he did in Russia. And, you know, I way back in a, in a previous life and back in the Grantland days, I went to Russia several times and, um, you know, went to a bunch of KHL games and, you know, if you're a, a team, not just doing, you know, playing well in that league, but dominating it, like that's, you're, you know, he was ready, and um, and that's the thing. He, he was 23 last year, being ready, ready to being willing, and yeah. now, you know, he's here, and you know, I'm sure that he, I'm sure that the the opportunity to play for the you know Russian Olympic team um, in 2018 was a big reason for you know, why he stayed at the time, and obviously that worked out well for him. Um, yeah, and you know, speaking of the Olympics, like it's kind of wild that we've got an Olympic you know, staring us down. And I don't think anyone really, um, you know, obviously people know about it, but I keep talking to people that are like, wait, the Olympics are like in like a few months. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Like, yeah. Cause the other February one just happened. Yeah. Cause the other one just happened. Yeah. And that's where I'm really pissed with Eichel. Um, is because I was so looking forward to going to this tournament and having a team that could go toe to toe with Canada. You know, that last time, we tried to beat yeah. them one nothing. Like if you remember that tournament, we were great, and then we got to the Canada game and tried to win it one nothing, but they scored instead of us, and we were just out. And yeah. it didn't. It hasn't been that way on the World Junior level. Like last year, Canada brought a great team to the World Juniors and dominated the whole tournament until we punched them right in the mouth and took the gold medal from them in Canada. <laughs> you know, and I was ready for that kind of a team at the Olympics, but I don't know. They could still be that, but I mean, I was like, yeah. man, Matthews and Eichel, you know, that could match anything. But now he's in Boston or whatever, crying about what neck surgery he's going to get, you know, and <laughs> I hope, I don't know, maybe it's too late already, but I hope his, he's got a new agent, uh, Briston or whatever, so it's supposed to be great. I hope he goes to him and says, listen, let's take the risk, go get the surgery you want, get healthy. Get out there in the Olympics, show everyone your 2019 Jack Eichel, and then the Sabres will have people line up around the block offering what they want to get yeah. for you. And you can go on and move on with your life and be a ranger or be a king or a wild or whatever you want to be. And, you know, I think the the way that it can work out best is if he can prove it at the Olympics. Maybe it's already too late for that. I don't know how much time he needs between surgery yeah. and whatever. I, I have no say, idea. Also, like, wouldn't Buffalo have to like, or I don't know, does, does, would Buffalo have to like? Well, agree? Buffalo has to approve. Like, is it like the world? June? I mean, I know they have the break, but yeah. Um. So the impasse. Yeah, I feel like he'd have to have his uh, his like Buffalo ties sorted. You know what I mean to even be able to 
Oh, I don't know. I'm not, I, well, I mean, like the impasse right now between. I don't profess to know anything about what is what's happening with the whole. Well, <laughs> what, know, just, what's uh, happening is Jack Eich- Jack Eichel wants his neck fixed one way, and it's a way that has never. Oh been, no, I know that. Yeah, I just mean in terms of like, um, yeah, his current, you know, um, just communication with them. It seems like it's pretty much. Oh, it's not almost a, nothing. It's a stalemate, which is why yeah. I say he's got to just go do yeah. it. Then take the risk and just go do it. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. you know, whatever doctor you go to, it's not like they'd be like, nope, I follow this, the NHL CBA. I need this, you know, that that's not, <laughs> that doesn't happen. Like, you just need to go do it and take the risk. If you believe in it so much, yeah. you know, if you don't want to be here, it's like to be here, he's going to have to do it their way. Right? But yeah. if, if you don't want that anyway, yeah. just do what you want to do. It's your neck. Go ahead. Get it fixed. Robin Leonard says it's okay. Um, Do what you want to do. And then... uh and get ready and go to the Olympics. I don't think the Sabres would stop him from going to the Olympics. I don't think. Why? You know, if he's healthy well, enough. Yeah, I, mean, I think they'd love a chance for him to prove yeah. that he's good. You know what I mean? Because like I said, if he can go there and prove he's great, there'll be teams lined up around yeah. He's 24 years old. But um, anyway, yeah. Katie Baker is a senior writer for The Ringer. And um, let, let me ask you this on the way out. The last thing will be this. So... For this whole year, I've kind of been having this fake celebration of ten years of the sportscasters, um, and I always say fake because like I'm the one, I'm the only one celebrating really, <laughs> but uh, but it's only a celebration because I say it is. But uh, I really wanted to have you on this year because you're one of the people that was on in, in you know 2011, and I don't think you had done a lot of po- no one really had done a lot of podcasts yet then or you know whatever. But I just remember at the time. You were fresh out of Goldman Sachs and, you know, changing careers. And now you have 10 years of 10 years or maybe a little bit more than that in between it. Like, can you ever picture yourself? Do you ever think about what it would have been like if you didn't do it? You know, like, how do you feel about it in general? Like, what about these last 10 years for you personally? And, you know, your evolution as a writer and and just like kind of being a part of part of the sports media or the media in general instead of what you were going to be out of Yale like another person at Goldman Sachs or whatever (laughs) yeah I mean it's funny like I I think it was um in the summer of 2010 when I got like a fake email from Bill Simmons um basically saying you know he was planning to start a website which would become Grantland um and like kind of started the process of me realizing that maybe I had a new um, career ahead of me from the finance world. And I still remember like where I was sitting when I got that email. And then about then another year went by before Grantland actually launched. Um, but that was about 10 years ago, um, I think. And yep. um, yeah, it's, I do sometimes think about it. I mean, I have friends who, um, you know, are, did kind of live the life that over the past decade that I was living. Um, they all have very nice second homes now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I just moving, moving out West to California was a big change that I made about a decade ago as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess when I, I just, I, I do like to sometimes, um, you know, especially when I'm, banging my head against the wall on some story or, um, which is, you know, pretty much anytime I'm writing a story, 
Um, right. But, you know, I, there are a lot of really cool places I've been, people I've spoken with. Um, I think in the, I actually think the pandemic um, in some ways helped me with my reporting because it was just a lot of like, you know, I can't go somewhere. So I'm just going to have to like reach out to, you know, as many people as I can for some story and see who might talk to me. And not that that's different than doing stuff in person, but I just think it got me a little bit better at um, just reaching out and um, kind of making, making the calls and, and not, you know, and and just seeing, because sometimes a lot of times people say no, Um, I get no's all the time, but when I started to think about it more as like a, almost in a sales way, like almost like my old job, which is like, you know, you, if 10% of people say yes, then you got to make 10 calls to get one yes. And so, and you got to not be upset about the nine no's. And that's been something that's like, I think has really, you know, you can kind of always tell yourself that, but I've just gotten better at, um, you know, kind of, giving things a shot, seeing what works, things often don't. Um, but it's been really fun and it's, I've enjoyed just getting to, you know, even especially lately, like right on so many different subjects and um, kind of constantly learning about things myself uh, in order to write about them. And, um, you know, I think at times I, I wish I had some beat where I could really be developing, you know, inside knowledge and that kind of thing. But then at the same time, it's so fun to, you know, to constantly be like trying new things. And um, so, you know, that's kind of the plate of the general features writer, right? It's like, you're always kind of swooping in. And then the second that you know, as much as there is that you can know about something, um, it's on to the next story. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, things come back around plenty of times, but um, that's been a, an adjustment, but it's been a good one, just kind of broadening my, my bases. Yeah, like what you said about the pandemic and the way stories came about, that's the only reason the miracle of anyone wanting to write a story about me, let alone Sports Illustrated, happened. Because, <laughs> like, John called me and said, like, I can't travel. You know, I'm looking for something. I th- I put up a post about the podcast turning 10, and Luckily, he had seen it and thought maybe there was something there. I never thought there was anything there till the second they posted it. We, I did the interviews for it in January. It didn't go up till May. So the whole time, I thought he tried. It's never going to happen. But yeah, you know that's why it happened because of what exactly what you said. Uh, Katie again is the senior. Well, I love that story. Oh, I appreciate John's that. The best. Um, that. Yeah, was, he's like, that. That made me really happy to read. Yeah, he he did. He made me sound really great. And you know, like the number one thing too is I even said it like. He, he put it in the piece too like I do this as a way sometimes to like make my people proud a little bit and I definitely yeah you know made my people proud uh with that which was yeah really important to me but you can find Katie's work again on ringer.com um and you can find her on Twitter you're at Katie Bakes on Twitter right yeah that's right yep Katie Bakes on Twitter you can find her there I typed in Katie Baker and then enter to find you and it turns out there's 10 million katie bakers on twitter um, oh there's 10 million katie bakers and <clears throat> i've actually gotten scolded about this from a friend of mine who's like a you know uh no, a a social media person branding and, expert um yeah he was like yeah he was like he was like you know like you know like you know uh when you search katie baker on twitter like yours doesn't come up because your display name just says katie bakes and i was like 
maybe I don't want it to come up. <laughs> I never thought of that. Um, but yeah, there's so many Katie Bakers on Twitter. I mean, there's there's like three Katie Bakers in the like digital writing world alone. <laughs> so um, that in and of itself is kind of a, a, a funny quirk. Um, the other two are always writing really like important things about like humanity and um, you know, and business and all these things. And then I'm, you know, granny about Stevie Cohen's tweets. So well, I, I don't guess know. that's that, a business angle. <laughs> the, uh, the argument about dropping the ball to me is very, very important, whether she did it on purpose or not. Exactly. All right. That's scholarship right there, yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, it's at Katie Bakes on Twitter. Her most recent article is about uh, the reigning NHL Rookie of the Year. And then you could also read about the mayor of Easttown, or you could read about the Queen's Gamut, or you can read about success. Steve Cohen's we've, tweets. We've got we're all we're all succession all the time. <laughs> uh, very very last thing I'll get you out here on this. Is there a story you want to write? What what is there? As you're thinking about the future, I kind of talked to you about switching careers, and luckily I was kind of at the front end of that and got to get you on here and and have we've done this for ten years now together. Is there one story that it's your it's you got to write it at some point before this ends? I don't know that there's like what I mean honestly I'm excited like I'm excited to at some point be able to travel again and to and to find a story where I feel like I found the story and you know no one else is writing it like right um not that it has to be but just I, I'm excited to I, I miss being able to use my strange um, gift slash curse of like observation. Um, I really just miss being able to like stand in the corner of a room and like notice the words on someone's t-shirt and, um, you know, and, and put that in the article and just know that it's like a little detail that I find in some other New York times article. And so I'm putting it with a link to that work. You know, I'm happy to obviously link other people's work, but I just, I'm looking forward to using my own eyes, um, you know, and, and just to, to capture stuff. I don't have like a specific target place or anything in mind, but that's like one, that's like a, you know, I can feel the void of that a little bit. And hopefully, well, it's gotta you be know, close, right? You gotta be, year. gotta be yeah. close. Yeah, it's to gotta be close. Point. I mean, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you. So you know that'll be fun, kind of having that. That that's a fun thing when you, um, you know, people talk about how so much of success is like showing up or come, you know, exactly. Yeah. Being in the room or whatever. Um, but it's true. Like I, I do. When that feeling hits, where you're like, wow, like I almost didn't come to this like shoot around this morning because there's nothing going on, and then all of a sudden there, you know. It's the day that uh, Ben Simmons gets kicked out of practice or whatever it is. Like, <laughs> right. that's just a really powerful, fun, like, those are the moments that make it worthwhile when you're then later trying to sort through your notes and um, and you remember that scene and you're like, ah, oh, there we go. So anyway, that's, I, I think that's kind of what my my hopes are for the, the next, you know, couple of years. I think it'll happen. I think we're getting there. Is there anything else you wanted to promote? <laughs> Oh Imagine. no! Just your great podcast. Like you said, you've been—you were like the first one. I, I probably like the first podcast I ever went on. So I love that. Um, yeah, keep it up. Happy ten. Yes. Um, for you know, to all who celebrate. And uh, I want everyone to read the future is now too. Do that. I love. I still love that article so much. So thank you, Katie. 
Thank you. Have a good one. Could've used a few pounds Tight pants, points, hollering out She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high Way up firm and high I want to thank Katie Baker For being on the podcast today I always love having Katie. All right, the book club. How the NFL Today Revolutionized Sports Broadcasting. You are looking live by Rich Podolsky. Now, I interviewed Rich today, and we did about one hour, and I'm going to tell you right now, he dazzled me. It was a dazzling debut, and I had so much fun with this book, had so much fun talking to Rich. Uh, I hope Rich will come on again to talk about it more, actually. I think there's so much meat on this bone. Uh, and I love this book. And I want to mention here uh, a guy named Jeff Hager. I hope that's how you pronounce it, H-A-G-G-A-R. He's a longtime listener, so he knows I blow these last names all the time. And I'm about to blow our next guest, another Jeff. I'm about to blow his name a couple times, too. Uh, but Jeff Hager uh, is an, a listener in North Carolina. And he sent me a really, really nice email, uh, which I think I mentioned it in the uh, in the uh, the the Sports Illustrated article about how one of the things I love about this podcast is just the chance to make my people proud. And Jeff, I'm going to tell you right now, I showed the email to my wife and to my mom and to my brothers, and I made my people proud. And I just can't thank you enough for the beautiful email. Uh, you sent me. Jeff reached out uh, because I offered him, well, I offered everyone on the show last time uh, a chance for a copy of You Are Looking Live. I still have one left. If you want, you can email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com. Uh, and Jeff asked for a book, Jeff, and I promise I'm going to email, I'm going to mail that out by the end of the week. Um, but then the next day, he wrote me a longer email uh, and he said, uh, The Sportscasters podcast is awesome. I've been a regular listener since 2013. Uh, He mentions we have a lot in common, including Mike and the Mad Dog, politics. Uh, He lives in the Raleigh, North Carolina area, but he grew up in New York. He's an RPI grad, class of 1983, and he was there when they won the Frozen Four. Adam Oates' team uh, won the Frozen Four in 1985. Um, And they were actually the last team from the state of New York to win the Frozen Four before Union won it in 2014, the year after Yale and Anthony won it. Um, When I first listened to your podcast, I was struck by how outstanding you are as an interviewer. You ask great questions and draw out the best from your guests. Some other podcast hosts frequently interrupt the guests, constantly interject their own opinions, and make themselves the focal point. You do a super job preparing, setting things up, sitting back, and letting the guests shine. You talk a good pace with the right volume, and your voice is pleasing to the ear. And I love that, Jeff. Thank you. One of the best compliments I can give your podcast is this. Uh, 
I don't really follow hockey much these days. So when you have a hockey guest, I'm tempted to skip it. But I'll give it a start, give it a chance, and most of the time I find myself drawn to the conversation and wind up listening to the end. I will admit that I I do skip most of the music in Howard Stern segments. Oh, no. Shot to the heart there. Especially the Stern stuff. I don't know. We have Howard Stern segments, so it might come up once in a while in an interview, but I don't know if I've ever done a specific Howard Stern interview. Uh, I like how you keep track of the appearances of the guests. I admire the fact that you do it for passion. Uh, he talks a little bit about my health, and I appreciate the kind words there. Uh, and he thanks me for the book. Jeff, it's a beautiful email. Thank you so much for reaching out. I really appreciate it. Um, it made my people proud and it made me uh, excited uh, just to do what I do. So thank you. All right. I mentioned You Are Looking Live by Rich Podolsky. Uh I recorded that interview today. It will air on the next episode. I do have a copy of that book. If you're interested, uh, reach out on email. Uh, another book. I think it's going to be the first time I'm mentioning it. I locked it down a couple months ago. Uh, and it's finally being released on November 7th. Uh, and it's The Big East by Dana O'Neill. And uh, it's about the, um, you know, the glory days of Big East basketball. Uh, and a copy of that book is supposedly arriving this week. And when it does, I'll read it. And Dana is going to be on to talk about Big East basketball in this book. You know, this is one of those books that I always thought, and I know my friend Scott Criscolo from, Place to be Nation podcast. I always thought it would be a great Perlman book, uh, but Dana wrote it, and I'm really excited to feature it, and um, I can't wait for that. Another book I locked down this week that I'm very, very excited about uh, is Tinderbox by James Andrew Miller, the king of the of the oral histories, and he did the outstanding oral history on ESPN. And he was on twice for that, once when the hardcover came out and once when the um, paperback came out. The problem is is his books are always in embargo before they come out, and it's no different this time. The publication date is 11-13, November, or, excuse me, 11-23, and they'll send me one then. So it's going to be a little bit for that one yet, but we can start promoting it now. Pre-orders are available, of course. Uh, and James Andrew Miller will be on to talk about Tinderbox. Uh, also, there's um, a Sopranos oral history out. And I've heard back from the publisher. There's a chance we'll be involved in promoting that. I don't know for sure yet. Uh, I don't have anything you know, concrete on that one. So I'm not going to go crazy about it. And I do have some others as well. But for now, you are looking live by Rich Podolsky and The Big East by Dana O'Neill. Uh, with Tinderbox by James Andrew Miller getting closer and closer as we uh, move through the fall and get closer to Thanksgiving. So that's where we're at right now. Uh, We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back and make a debut from the Chicago Sun-Times and talk some sports media with Jeff Agrist. Our next guest today, 
is from Wilmette, Illinois, uh, and works for the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, where he's the deputy sports editor and a sports media writer. He spent some time as a senior editor for Pro Football Weekly as well, and he's making his debut on the Sportscaster today. I'm really excited about this one. A warm welcome to Jeff Agress. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm well, Steve. How are you? Very, very good. How are things in Chicago? It's been warm there. It's been warm here for October. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, I think those days are over. I was outside this morning. Yeah. And, uh, there's there's some there's a crispness in the air, and I think more more is coming, which which is good. I I like fall weather. I prefer to dress in jeans and a sweatshirt. Um, so I'm all good with it. Yeah, I love the fall. We have beautiful falls in Western New York. Oh, I'll bet. What I'll was bet the trees? Yeah, I love the trees. Yeah, great rush song too. What was the what was the attitude in Chicago with the White Sox and the burn in burnout? What was the general feeling about that team closing out the season there in Chicago? Well, I think there was disappointment, obviously, especially with the way that series was turned out to be kind of a beatdown. You know, they had their their one shining moment in game three, which was really exciting. And you got to see the Sox fans at their best. With yeah. The blackout Good crowd comeback. and the, the noise. Yeah. Right. And, and right. The Sox and the Sox fans at their best. It was, you know, it's, it's really an underrated, it's an underrated ballpark, guaranteed rate field and an underrated fan base in that that can be an intimidating place when you've got 40,000 people serenading you with, you know, na na, Hey, Hey, goodbye as you're walking off the field, that's, that's kind of tough to take. I would think. Yeah. We see it in um, 05, and, how great it can be. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I was kind of, I, I tweeted a couple of times. I wish the networks, I wish Fox would have let that go longer. Now I know they have you know commercial obligations to get to, but that's a really neat part of, of a Sox game experience. You kind of got the sense of the, the, the taste of it, but, um, it's it's fun when a baseball team in this town is good because there's a general excitement about that. Cause it's every day, but I think also the Sox being the number two team in town, really, you're not going to get that upheaval of disappointment that you would when the Cubs were knocked are, are knocked out. Sure. You know, you're not going to get that that same vibe of just you know provincial. The sky is falling. So, but I also think that there's there's the idea that this team is going to be around for a while and will be good for a while, and I think there's also the thought that the Astros are just really good. You know, yeah. that's a team that's on another level that the Sox just aren't there yet. So I think there was that acceptance of okay, this was fun, but we're not there yet, and I think there will be more to come from them. Fans hanging in there with Larusa, or is there some patience running out there? No, I think he really. He really turned the tide. Yeah. Started <laughs> badly. Started real badly oh earlier. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It started bad. Yeah. It, it, was, it was, you know, not only the, you know, the DUI was, was, was obviously bad, um, but just the, the, <laughs> the anger from the fans were just, it was just something I, I've never seen when in hiring a manager. Uh, and and the owner Jerry Reinsdorf got pulled into it because everybody assumed and, and rightfully so that that was all about him and Rick Hahn had the rug pulled out from underneath him. Here was this 
you know, clearly capable general manager who assembled this team, but he wasn't able to put the cherry on top with his manager. Right. He was told to do what he was told to do. And there were mistakes and, and those were, you know, whatever, however you view some of the mistakes as far as how, how big of a mistakes they were. Tony turned it around with the way that he handled the team with the, with the success that he had. And just with his, he's still got a fire in his belly. And I think him running out to, you know, defend his team, his, his players, either with umpires or with them getting hit so much by other pitchers, I think it showed the fans that, you know, this is somebody we can still rally around. And that was cool to see. And, and he, he really turned it around in a way that I don't think anybody saw coming. So I think people are going to be, you know, not upset that he's coming back next year because clearly you want somebody who's, I think it'd be bad for them to start over with somebody else. He's right. here, stick with him and see what he can do after having a year under his belt. And he's still into it. Seems to still have the energy, even though he's one of the older managers in the league. But you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Speaking of coaches in Chicago on the hot seat, I mean, it seems like maybe it cooled a little bit now that Fields is playing. Um, but what? Again, just trying to take the temperature from far away. What are the thoughts yeah. in the streets there on the Bears and how the season's going so far? Big win against the Raiders last week. Maybe they caught him at exactly the right time. Um, yeah, with, totally. With the disaster that that kind of played out there, uh, which we will talk a little bit about the sports media angle to that in a minute. But what about the Bears, kind of in general, so far earlier in the year? It, it, it's there. They are such a week to week thing. One week you're thinking like, okay, we're in the right direction. The next week the sky is falling. I've never seen. I guess I guess unless they're the Cubs uh, in this city, just the mood changed so quickly, but now that fields is the quarterback and, you know, Nagy has seemingly given up the play calling to bill laser. And we're seeing an offense that seems to have uh, a purpose behind it, a method to what it's trying to do that people have calmed down. I think people are happy that Nagy has given up the play calling that fields is a quarterback, but but also that there's, they see the future. Now that Fields is the full-time guy. And there's, you know, had they, had they put Fields in from the beginning, I don't think there would have been the uproars right. that there were at the beginning of the season. People needed um, Fields on the field, right? I mean, everyone just they, did. They did. It would have never stopped. They did. And it's, yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know what? I, I actually have some empathy for the Bears because when they signed Andy Dalton, they had no idea they were going to be able to get Justin Fields. Right. And Dalton couldn't have seen that coming. So what do you do then? You're not, now you're just put in a tough spot where, oh, my God, here we, we told this guy, you're our guy. But wait a minute. Now this just happened. How do you reconcile that? that that's, a, that's a tough spot to be in. And I feel horrible for Dalton. But now look at his, in his perspective. He's getting paid either way. So, but, but he's a competitor. He has pride. And he's a right. good guy. And, and this um, happened with the Saints in 2017 when they had signed – Adrian Peterson as a free agent and then drafted Alvin Kamara in the third round, not knowing a, that they would draft Alvin Kamara and b that he would be Alvin Kamara and be him so quickly. And they just pulled the trigger on the trade. I gave Sean Payton a lot of credit and Mickey Loomis credit for just instinctively acting on it so soon. And cause it could have dragged out where every time Peterson touched the ball, the Superdome would be saying, 
Wise and Kamara touching it. And I think that would have happened yeah. in Chicago. You don't ever want to see someone get hurt, but just kind of opening the door for Fields to be out there, I think, saved everyone a lot of a lot of uh, just angst, I think. But I wouldn't be surprised if Dalton is heard from again this year, whether it be something happening in the fields or a game gets away from him. Well, that would be it. You know, or whatever yeah, it sure. is. Um, and I think, it, and I think it's a good spot in that if Fields does struggle and they feel like they have to win the game and they go to Dalton, people are going to know that Fields is going to come back next week. Right. So it'd be like a relief pitch. Yeah, so exactly. I think they're in the best spot. Just to protect, but, yeah, it, protect Fields' yeah. psyche a little bit, maybe one game, you know, sure. something like that. They've but beat- it wouldn't surprise me with the with the beating he with the beating he took against the Raiders. Yes, that if he needs a if he needs a game just a, like a, a game of maintenance to take off or something like that. Well, they can get after it the Raiders too. The the, the oh yeah the uh, Bears have beaten the Bengals, the Lions, and the Raiders. So we'll see. Of course, they lost to the Browns and the Rams. We'll really see the next two weeks with Packers and uh, yeah. at Buccaneers on the schedule, kind of where yeah what they're going to be maybe for the rest of the year. One last Chicago thing I wonder, and that's the seasons are starting um, in the NBA and in the NHL. And in the NHL, um, the big move for the Blackhawks was was bringing Flurry over from from Vegas, uh, having just won the, won the uh, Vesna. And they bring him over to hopefully improve the goaltending there. Duncan Keith is gone, kind of the end of an era there. Seabrook and Keith both gone. Right, but Kane and Taves back as well after a year of, I don't know, some kind of mystery illness, uh, and then the yeah, yeah right. and then the Bulls, <laughs> the Bulls as well starting up. Uh, you know, neither team has been in the playoffs the last couple of years. Uh, where where are expectations? What what's the, I guess the same question. What's the what's the what's the word on the streets in Chicago about these teams starting their seasons? Well, I think the Bulls, there's a lot of excitement because this is, I mean, that's, that's just a remade team. <laughs> and, and it's so foreign for Bulls fans because this, is, this was just a free agent spending, free, a spending spree that, you know, it, it's wonderful in that it happened, but also it's wonderful that the people who made the decisions are the people who they are. It's not, it's not Gar Foreman and John Paxson who continuously struck out in their plans. This is a guy, um, you know, Karnasovas, who came from Denver where he had success. And, and Billy Donovan came from OKC where he had success. And to see these people making these decisions, I think is refreshing for Bulls fans because they have, they have some buy-in. You know, there's, there's, there's evidence of previous success. Okay, let's see how this goes. And I think, I think you know, personally, I've just wanted a reason to watch the Bulls since the Derrick Rose era because there's just been no reason to watch <laughs> since Butler was traded. But now there's a, there's you know there's a reason to follow the NBA again in this city because they've gotten name players with 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 a track record. So I think there's a lot of buzz about about the Bulls, the Hawks. That's a tougher one because they kind of they had a similar postseason, but their decisions were made by. The same decision makers who have right, Stan Bowman. failed in the last mm-hmm. right in the and last a scandal five to and six a scandal holding. Well, that's up. that's the yep. thing, Steve. That's that's what's really that's what's really hard to grasp is that this thing is still out there and it's not going anywhere, and we're all just waiting for 
some sort of clarity as to how they're going to go forward waiting for an announcement as to what happens or what happened. You know, when the Patrick Kane thing went down, that was hard to take too. And they've recovered and he's recovered. From well, he that. was cleared. I, um, you know, that was a big thing he here in Buffalo, right. obviously. Yeah. And right. he, he, in my, it's right. my opinion, my feeling. And I debated Tim Graham uh, from the Buffalo news who, who really, for whatever reason, seemed to feel like he wanted to prosecute Patrick Kane himself. Um, but he was he was unfairly treated, and he hasn't really been back since um, to the city. He used to live here, used to be here all the time and around, and you know that was unfair. You're he to was him. untreated. He was in, uh, in Buffalo. He was treated unfairly. Uh, yeah, I do believe that. Yeah, that's my yeah. my opinion. Yeah, here, yeah, he he was welcomed back. Yeah, you know, eventually when when he was cleared here, and now he's. He's a star again, yep. and and he's uh, he's really recovered here. But yeah, I having read what I've read out of Buffalo, I can totally see that, and that's that was unfortunate. Yep. But at the time, though, when you didn't when you didn't know, it was like, well, here's this Paul over this team, and they were still good then, um, and then they recovered from that, and now now we have this episode, and it's just it's awful. It's much awful worse. for everyone. And much it, worse. Yeah. yeah, much worse. Just in and its, its scope like, and and everything. Oh, it's terrible, yeah. and it, it makes it hard as a fan to separate, right? Because the, this is the team you're rooting for, but this is the team you're rooting for? But it's not, you know, it, it's, it's a different group of players, mostly. I know Taves and King were there at the time, but the, it, it's a different hierarchy now that's trying to clean that stuff up. So you kind of have to try to put it in that perspective, but I think it's kind of a wait and see on the Hawks as far as the, the team itself, because there is a lot of newness to it. But Flurry is was is, if he has that kind of defense in front of him as he did on on Wednesday, they're not they're not going anywhere. So yeah. it is it is it, it's more of an excitement on the Bulls level than I think the Hawks level right now. And I was actually for the first time ever quoted in the Chicago Sun Times uh, about a week ago in the Rob Mish article. Um, he asked oh, me yeah. what I thought about Flurry and his addition, and that's basically what I said: is that it's not the team that played in front of him in Vegas, in Chicago. And I think the night that he asked yeah. me, they had a preseason game where he had faced over forty shots, and I said there could be a lot of that this year. And right away, I think it was thirty-six shots, um, oh, admittedly crazy. against maybe the best team in the league. You know, and uh, that game, the Avalanche came out in the first five minutes. It was three nothing, but from there on, the, the Hawks I think got their feet under them. But they're an eight to twelve place team, if you know what I mean. If everything were to go right, you know, you could yeah. see them finishing eighth or seventh and squeaking in, um, or they could finish twelfth. You know, in the conference, I think it could go really either I, way. I, you know, I totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree. They last year was like. And I'm a big hockey guy. I'm a long-time Blackhawks observer. Last year, this has been sort of startling, too, in that last year was a development year. It was a let-the-kids-play year. Right. And then, boom, on, on a dime, well, now we're competing for a playoff spot? Where, where did this come from? And Pius Suter, who scored all these goals, is now gone. Well, wait a minute. How did this just happen? Okay, I guess they had enough time to develop. What? So it is kind of startling that, you know, I don't want to draw one line from they're, – they're not I, – I hope they're not related. I, and I hate to assume that they are. But 
when things started going bad from a public perception standpoint, now they turn they, they turn around and start they they bring in Flurry, they bring in Seth, Seth Jones, Jones, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I really hope they're not related and that they just felt it was time to win now. But that's what this is. This is a win now method, and I just don't think they're there yet. Well, I mean, in their defense, Patrick Kane is 32 now, right? Um, but he, he still seems to have a lot of legs left in him. Uh, jo- yeah. Jonathan Taves is, I guess, one year older than that. I think they're separated by one year. Um, yeah. The... Uh, Kirby Dak is is you know got a year under him like you said, uh, still only twenty years old though. I mean such a young kid, um, but yeah, they're an interesting team. Like I said, if everything went well and everything went perfect and the kids clicked and Jonathan Taves is Jonathan Taves again and uh, yeah, you know right, I, exactly. You know you could see them, you could see it working, but I could also see them, like I said, finishing twelfth. So we'll see. Yeah. All right, let's do some sports media. And, and you write a lot of sports media stuff in the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, you're also the deputy sports editor there, and you cover a lot of the sports media. And we might as well start with the NHL because they debuted on two new networks this weekend or this week. Uh, we saw ESPN was first. They debuted. Uh, they de- debuted their new studio. They debuted uh, their new play-by-play one team of McDonough. Um, and it was McDonough's partner. Uh, Ray Ferraro. Right? Ferraro, yep, Ferraro. And then uh, the TNT was last uh, the last night or the night before that, and we had Wayne Gretzky and we had Charles Barkley and we had a great studio show. And my man Kenny Albert, who's a good friend of this show and a good friend of mine, play by play one over there. What what did you think of the two networks? What did you get to see? Uh, what didn't you see? What are your thoughts in general about um, the NHL's debut on the new networks? I watched a lot of it, Steve. I was so excited. Same. I felt like <laughs> we were hitting the refresh button yep. on hockey coverage in this in this country. I was so jazzed that they were on TNT, and I didn't see that coming. I was I was floored. I'm like, oh my god, the NHL on TNT. What's that going to be like? That is so that is so out of the box for this league to be on a, on, a, on a network that has such a, a culturally shifting show like inside the NBA. Um, so when I, well, I'll start with TNT cause I was so jazzed about that. Like I said, and, and even Liam McHugh looks and sounds different. The host as he was on NBC, you know, he had glasses on, he, <laughs> he had a stubble on his face. He just seemed more freer and looser um, on that, on that pregame show. And it really has an inside the NBA vibe to it where guys are just riffing and you have a, you know, even just a side conversation while others are talking um, and, and having Gretzky on there is wonderful. He seems like, you know, he'll be comfortable and, and do well there. And uh biz nasty being on there is that's, that's perfect. That's, that's TNT. Very smart too. One the popularity. Always, yeah. yeah. Very smart. They, they've, they've always been good at finding in every sport finding a cast for a studio show for baseball, for basketball, and now for hockey, they've been able to assemble. They seem to know what works and who works well together. So I was just thrilled that, uh, with, with, with the start and then they bring in Barkley and that was brilliant, brilliant um, to do that. Oh, really yeah. good cross promotion right it was, away. It was, it was a no brainer, set the tone, no brainer, but yeah. yes, 
this is what we're going to do here. Yeah. We're going to have fun. We're going to totally just mess around sometimes, but there'll be serious tones. You know, I, it, it's, it was so refreshing. And then the game broadcast themselves, um, seeing the penalty clock on the ice, you know, this is stuff like, why didn't I think of that? They right. did it with the shot clock in the NBA. Nice touch. Brilliant. Put yeah. it right there on the ice. Yeah. Um, the, the 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 radar gun on the shots that are behind the net, 99 mile per hour shot, boom, right there on the screen. Brilliant. Wish I would have thought of that myself. They're like, well, that's obvious. Why wouldn't you have thought of that? But they did it. They they did and they did it. So I'm excited to see what else they have coming. Um, I love obviously you know Kenny and Eddie being the number one team. Right. And really, I hadn't heard much of Brendan Burke. He was great too. But I was. Yeah, he was great. He was. He was really good. Yeah. He was really good. And 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 Panger, I, I have a soft spot for being. He was a former Hawk goalie. Um. So I was glad. I was happy with the broadcast, and I'm excited to see what else they have coming. ESPN was just. I mean, you 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 and I. I I'm 47. Um. So I'm a Gen Xer. Yeah, I'm 41. And, just a little bit younger than you. Okay. Yep. But but Gen X the NHL well. on ESPN. Yeah. I go back to NHL tonight on the deuce. Hell yeah. Um, and Thorne. that was just, yeah. you know, Gary, oh, Gary Thorne, Bill Clement. Yes. What a team. That's my, that's my yeah. kitchen right there. Right. Yeah. I tweeted out, I have it right in front of me. I have, um, <clears throat> excuse me, PlayStation two ESPN NHL two K five. Yes. Great with, game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with Martin St. Louis on the cover. I tweeted that out. Cause I was just so happy to have you. It's where it belongs. Yeah. And you know, look, you, NBC was great. I cannot. <clears throat> they gave. Excuse me. I'm sorry. They gave us so much hockey. They served the game they gave well. Double header. They did. They did. Winter Classic. And it was. Yeah. Man in the booth so or the the guy in between the glass inside the glass. That was them. Right. The yeah. games were well done. They yep. gave us Doc Emmerich. Yes. I. I. But still, I wanted it on ESPN. Yeah. And and. Only been, I can I can only give the reason being that I'm I'm a sucker for for nostalgia, and everything was better when I was younger, and ESPN can just do more for hockey than NBC can, and you're seeing it now with the different shows they're going to have on ESPN Plus, yep. the podcast, the pregame, the postgame. It leads into Sports Center. They'll have more from the hockey game. Linda Cohn, Butcher Grass, yeah, Linda Cohn, yeah, Butch- yeah, Barry Melrose, Melrose, Levy, yeah. Levy, yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. Here's I, I a great example, too, Jeff, that I noticed. Major League Baseball playoff game on ESPN. The ticker comes up. One of the first things, Sidney Crosby day-to-day with whatever. And I was just thinking to myself, that would never be on there if ESPN wasn't no. in the hockey business. you know. And as great as NBC was, ESPN – they're the worldwide leader, right, for a reason. And to have them involved in hockey means it's important to them. And if it's important to them, it's going to be, by proxy, more important to the country. And we've seen the ratings so far were great for both networks. Huge improvements over similar games uh, from 20 and 19 uh, for both networks. Great ratings. So, man, I'm excited for the league right now. It feels like a, an opportunity a moment, and there's so many great young players in the league, you know, and it's not just Connor McDavid either. I mean, it, it's all across the board. Uh, it seems like every team has a 21, 20 year old, whether it's, you know, Kirby Doc in Chicago, 
um, or Dylan Cozens in Buffalo, Casey Middlestat. Yeah. Um, wherever Jack Eichel ends up, you know, hopefully, because he's such a great player. You know, Austin Matthews and um, so many great young uh, stars with more coming and Connor Bedard and Shane Wright, who are two of the uh, the best prospects to come out of Canada in the last 20 years. And that includes McDavid, uh, especially in the case of uh, Connor Bedard. So I'm, I'm excited for, for the league right now. What you said about, you know, the NHL news being on the ticker, <clears throat> that's, that's just a small example of yep. what we're talking about when mm-hmm. it's on ESPN. Mm-hmm. You're going to, it's just going to be in the public, in the, it's going to be in the viewer's conscience more than it was on NBC because people, you know, look, when news, when sports news breaks, where do you go? I still go to ESPN. Yeah, yeah, I might go to MLB Network. Of course. I might go to NFL Network, but I still they're my go-to. And I think just having the NHL on ESPN will just give the league a broader appeal. I think having it on two networks is even that's that's the big thing. You know, baseball's on multiple networks. NFL's obviously on every network. So that was Gary Bettman's big issue was getting it on at least two networks, and you got them on ESPN Plus. Yeah, they're, smart to split they're it. Just omnipresent. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that was they had to do that, and I'm just so jazzed for it. I haven't been this jazzed for hockey season in so long, and I, it's because of where you can find hockey now. Here's another hypothetical with ESPN, right? So Monday Night Football, they got a great game, and um, it's a battle to the end. And it's one of those games that is a Monday Night Football moment, like uh, Fail Mary you know, or the game that ended when the the guy batted the ball out of the back of the end zone or whatever, you know, or whatever. This big moment happens in Monday Night Football, and the game ends, and everyone's jazzed, so it's like, I'm going to stick around for Van Pelt a little bit. And he covers the game, and then the first thing up, he wants to talk about this hockey game that ESPN showed, or a hockey moment. You know, like, that. that's going to happen this year. You know, yeah. where in the past... Yeah. Scott Van Pelt's never going to hockey on that show. Maybe the last five minutes um, when everyone had finally gone to bed. But I don't know. That was something I was thinking about, too. Um, well, that, and, and it's funny because I heard Gary Bettman even say this. Like, if, if And I'm going to get this wrong, but he, I'm going to paraphrase. If ESPN does for hockey what it didn't do for hockey. Like, they, if, they take right. how they, if they take the just way they, they froze hockey yeah. out, yeah. but just flip it, it's going to be monstrous for this league. Good point. Good point. Let's. Uh, the sportscasts are here with uh, Jeff Agrist. Hope I got that right. I'm working on that yep. one. Is that right? What, did, I, did, I, did I get it? <laughs> yeah. Agrist. Agrist. Yeah, Agrist. That's, right. that's right. Agrist. Jeff Agrist uh, from the Chicago Sun-Times. We were both up late last night as we record this, watching the Dodgers and Giants. And I wanted to mention what a great job I thought the booth did and the network. A little thing again, but not going to commercial uh, in between the top and the bottom of the ninth, just kind of sticking in the stadium. What a great, great element to that broadcast. Um, Ron Darling all over the check swing. Second, it, yeah. it happened. He made a oh, you know, almost like a a, a groan. Um, yeah. You know, just really good, sharp analysis. A strong voice next to him with great calls. I thought they did a fantastic job covering 
which it maybe will end up being the best baseball game of the year last night. Um, two great teams, totally you know, separated by essentially nothing after a hundred and you know sixty seven games. Uh, what did you think yeah. of the broadcast last night? I know we were both up watching it. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you on the on the staying with the game. It's like, you know, when a team has a when a pitcher has a no hitter, I've seen where they'll just stay with him for his warm ups before that last inning, and so that you see, I see Max Scherzer coming out of the bullpen, and I'm like, wait a minute, they haven't gone to commercial yet. Yeah, wait, wait a minute, they're not they're not going to commercial. So and good. it was perfect because he just, he just built up the drama for what was ahead. You've got crazy Mad Max coming out of the out of the bullpen. You're going to the bottom of the ninth in a one-run game in the decisive game of this incredible series. That was, I, I don't know if it was planned, because, you know, you got to pay the bills at some point, but it was brilliant if it wasn't in that they're just going to stay here. I can hear the director saying, listen, guys, just stay here. We'll deal with the breaks later. Um, and and they, they handled that so perfectly. And then just the game itself, you know, you felt the drama throughout. You know, Brian Anderson is a pro. Uh, Ron Darling. I've enjoyed for years on, on Mets broadcast and, and TBS broadcast. He's fantastic. It, it, you know, BA has that voice where you, you, if you turn it on, okay, it's a big game. You know, it's not, it's not the Joe Buck level, but if I hear Brian Anderson's voice, I know what I'm watching is significant, but of course, you know, you could have put me on there and you knew the broadcast was going to be significant because of the game. But I, I still think that they captured it well. They had yeah, the they were great. They really were plays great. well. Mm-hmm. The production was great. It was. It wasn't a World Series game, but man, it it kind of felt like one. Let me ask you this, because I've been throwing a lot of the topics out, but I'm curious. You write sports media, Chicago Sun Times, Chicago Sun Times uh, Chicago You can find uh, you can find this, uh, all of your articles there. Uh, what are you? What What are you? wondering right now like what's in your notebook uh sports media things are going to happen how are they going to play out like what what are the sports media stories you're kind of tracking that you're waiting to see we kind of covered the hockey i'm sure would have been one of those kind of things how that played out what are you what's interesting you right now in your sports media brain well the biggest thing to me going on in town right now this is is this is Pat Foley's last year um, with, with the Blackhawks. Rick Jenneret uh, as well with... here. Rick Jenneret as well here. 20 games he's got. Oh, okay. Yeah, similar, similar it's, thing, you know, a legend. It's, to me, it's, it's sad. Like, I get emotional about it, which mm-hmm. might be sad in itself. But Pat Foley, I think, and I've written this, um, he's just, he's the best broadcaster this city's ever had. And, and that's, Saying a lot. That's a quite a that's that's quite a competitive group. I think when you think of all the Hall of Famers that are here, Harry Carey, Jack Brickhouse, uh, and, and even even before Harry Carey, Jack Quinlan, uh, Vince Lloyd, Lou Boudreaux, Don Drysdale had a short stint here with the White Sox. Hawk Harrelson's a Hall of Famer. Um, you know, I'm thinking of. Uh, I mean, well, Jack Brickhouse was just is he's, he did it all here. Uh, and he's just revered. But Pat Foley was began with the Hawks in 1980, and he has been the voice of multiple generations for this team that has had such a niche, mostly in its existence, a niche audience. They would they would joke that it's the same, you know, 16,000 at Chicago Stadium every night, 
and it, it was the truth. I was one of them. Uh, but it was always Pat Foley. The analyst might change, but Foley was always there, and he was not just a voice of the fan, he was the voice of the franchise. He, he wore his emotions on his sleeve. He was a fan of the team because he was from here too, but he was also an objective observer of the team. He had his rants, but he was just on, on just a simple level, just a fantastic play-by-play announcer. He would get excited. He would get disappointed. And he could still do this. Was this his call? I was going to ask you that. Was this his call? That's I, without an affirmative okay. answer from anyone, it it just could not have been his call. I know because he's because only when you think about years it, old. Yeah, he could do this for years. And when you here's, here's this is how I think about it. What else is he going to do? He's single. He has he has no no kids. He he does two things. He calls Blackhawks games and he plays golf. Well, now he's going to have one thing. He'll play golf. And yes, they're going to celebrate him for the year, all year. And they should and they will. And they're going to send him out appropriately. I've been told the year is all about Pat. And that's great. And But they're going to be trying out other announcers basically in his place. You know, on multiple occasions this year, he's going yeah. to share this, this chair. That's not right. With a lot of people, yeah. And and they're and they're quality people. They're going to be good. Nothing against people. them. Yeah, nothing against them. But nothing against them. This is Pat flipping Foley. Yeah. And I'm not ready to watch Hawks games without him there. Well, like I said, like <clears throat> we're dealing with that here. Um, but Rick okay. Jenner at 79 years old. And this is totally his call, and he decided to come back and do 20 games this year. And he's been part-time for a couple years, and he's had actually even had a couple scary moments in the booth um, health-wise. So we knew this was coming, but I, will, I don't give the Sabres credit often, uh, but I'll give them credit for respecting what he's meant to the team. He's called Sabres games literally since 1971-72. That was the second year of the My team. God. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, you know, his famous calls, you know, where mama hides the cookies, you know, Fontaine, you know, Mayday, Mayday, all of them. I mean, he's he's the he is uh, and they, they did it the right way, you know, and he's going to go out in his terms. The Penguins blew it with um, Lang, you know, pushing him out of TV and onto radio yeah. early. And uh, I didn't think that was right. And it's disappointing to hear. That potentially, the Blackhawks, and I, I just don't understand it. Why? I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't get it. Well, I, I hopefully we're wrong that about is, that. But yeah, I, I hope so too. But it just doesn't. It just doesn't feel like it. But they're they're under. They're basically under new management. They have a new president of business operations, Jamie Faulkner, and you can just you can just see the changes. They're having. They have so many. They have so many, you know, content analysts now, and it's all great. Listen, I, I get it. They're trying to reach a younger audience. They have younger people who we're going to hear from on the broadcasts, on their social media channels. It makes sense. They're, they're giving their, and, and rightly so, they're giving their pre- and post-game shows new life. It had gotten kind of stale. Steve Conroy, 
solid. Jamal Mayer's solid. They needed a little more enthusiasm on their broadcasts. Uh, the Bulls brought in Jason Goff, who is a star in this city and, and brings a youthful energy to those shoulder programs. The Hawks really needed that, and they're going in that direction by bringing in uh, uh, Colby Cohen, who's going to be their, one of their main analysts on their pre- and post-game shows. Um, so they're, they're, they're bringing in Chris Chelios' daughter, who's, who's going to have a, a presence. So they're, they're bringing in women. They're bringing in youth. It's all great. Uh, the Foley thing, though, is really hard for me to, to grasp. When he was gone for those two years, when he went to cover, when they, when they fired him, basically, they, they, they didn't bring him back. He had a run in with the organization at a bad time in the organization's existence. He went to the Wolves, the AHL team, and I watched, I watched the Wolves. I, I needed right. my Foley fix. Sure. Um, and when they brought him back, it was like a, a, a second coming. Oh my God, thank God. And I just don't know how it's going to sound when. When he's not there, when, the, when, when Harry Carey died, I wondered how I was going to be watching Cubs games, but you were kind of preparing yourself because he was getting old and he was losing his fastball and he was on the air less. So you were kind of preparing for that time. This is going to be cold Turkey. And maybe that's an, an over-exaggeration because we're going to have games with you where he's not calling the action and they have been on national broadcast enough to have a Hawks game where you're hearing somebody else's voice. Sure. But on a local broadcast, look, it's, it's, I'm going to say it, it's, it's going to be hard for me. And, and that might sound silly. No, there I'm are other you. things that we're are in more important same, in life. We're in the same boat with, with here. It's going to be hard. Yeah. And, and my next concern really is, um, you know, he's, on the, he's, he's been on the same three-year contract timetable as Eddie Olchek, um, who we all know is wonderful. Uh, I'm curious what happens there. Right. I don't know. I just don't know. And I'm going to try. I'm trying to find out. You can follow Jeff on Twitter. He's at Jeffrey, Jeffrey, a 22, J E F F R E Y a 22. And you can read his work on the Chicago sun times, uh, where he's deputy sports editor and covering uh, sports media columnist there as well. Um, really good. Enjoyed you today. A couple quick things. I'll let you go on this. Have you got a chance to watch uh, a game Drew Brees has called um, or any thoughts on him in the studio at NBC? You know, all the networks now are trying to find the next Romo. Um, yeah, I think that the best debut this year so far football wise has been Greg Olson, who I think has been really good. Oh, you, you took the words out of my mouth. But any thoughts say... on Brees or Olson or both? Yeah. Yeah. Breeze, Breeze, solid, and he'll get better. Uh, he's, he's. I've, I've listened to, I've watched some Notre Dame games. Yep, I like him I in studio he, more, but. I, me too. Yeah. Exactly. I was going to say that. Yeah. Um. He's, he's just a new voice. Maybe you know. Sometimes you're just a new voice, a new face, and that, and that helps you. But I think he's giving some perspective that we haven't had there. You know, you, you can only go to uh, the same guy so many times. Here's, here's something different. Greg Olson. I, I think Fox has their successors in place. You know, as NBC says to you, you know, Tariq is going to be the successor and, and, and Breeze will be, and Breeze will be the successor. I think it's Fox. They don't need, they don't need to come out and say this. It's, it's obvious. Greg Olson, I think is going to be the next Troy Aikman. Um, and as far as the next play by play guy for Joe Buck, that's going to be a tougher call. 
Uh, Kevin Burkhart. See, is, I like him more in studio. Solid. I I like him more I, in studio than play by play. I know people I, love I him, too, but I don't love him. He's okay. But. I, I think Adam Amin. Adam Amin is, and I don't know how much. He's a local guy, so I'm aware of him. And, yeah, and I, I don't just know watched. Much... Him. He called the Saints game this week, um, and I thought he okay, was. There you I go. thought he was good. I'm a big Saints fan. I know that's odd in Buffalo, but yeah, no, no, I know you are. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I watched. He did the game this week, and I, I thought he was really good. I thought it was a it was a much better booth than I thought it was going to be. I thought they yeah. did, they called a good game. So uh, if, it's, if they're not going to turn to Burkhart one day when Joe decides to be done, I think. Adam Amin is somebody to really keep an eye on. I kind of feel bad for Kenny Albert because he's kind of keeps getting passed over. But you know what? I think he's like just so comfortable in his shoes and, and he's got where, hockey and where he he's is. The PBP, yeah, PBP one and in, in a hockey network. I, and then I had right. I had dinner with him a couple weeks ago, and you know he's so pumped about that. So I think as long as he's I'm calling so football. You know, and um, not to mention he does Rangers games, too, um, on the Rangers play-by-play yeah. -play radio network. And he's done – I mean, he called the Batista bat flip, you know, so he's done baseball right. playoffs in the last five, six years. <laughs> so he's a versatile dude. And, and uh, um, uh, who did we just – who were we just talking about? Versatile like that as well. Called this, I don't know why his name just escaped me. Well, Adam I mean, Adam, Yeah, yeah Adam. Adam. It does a bunch of different play, uh, right. sports as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that's you. You look at these these this sort of next wave of broadcasters, and they can all do so many things. Joe Davis, he can do baseball, he can do football, uh, college pro. Amin has done every sport under the sun. Yeah. Um, and it seems like that's just you know, there's no not that people were pe people look. Al Michaels could do everything, and and that's been obvious. But like you know. An example that was brought up to me recently was Keith Jackson, fantastic at football. And when he was doing baseball, though, he seemed like a football guy doing baseball. Sure. He was great at baseball, but you knew he was a football guy. Now you've got guys, Jason Benetti, another prime example. There's the White Sox here and everything for ESPN. It seems like every game they do is their number one sport. And I'm not sure you always had that. Yeah, I this think that might be Buck's legacy a little bit. That Buck yeah, kind of ushered yeah. that what? in, you know, with uh, good call his role at Fox, and that and I would Great say call. this too about Buck. I think he'll say goodbye to baseball long before football. Um, so I think Fox, there might be a name we don't even know yet that could end up being the guy. I think you know I'm saying I think he's got a long run in him still um, at football. You know where NBC yeah. obviously Michaels is near the end, you know, and they have their succession plan. And I think Nance is even – he's not near the end, but he certainly, I think, will be gone before Buck is in terms of football. But I don't know how yeah. much longer Buck wants to call baseball. I get the feeling not much. Well, uh, now what gives you that impression? Is it because – It's like, just what he said to me on this show, I guess. football? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, well, I think, okay. It's, I think it's the bigger profile job, I think. Yeah, you know well, what I mean? Yeah, and I, yeah. I think I mean, there's maybe a maybe with he's got young sons, you know, and I think as they get a little bit older, if if he gets to a point where he's going to want to do one or the other, I just think it's, he's going to choose football. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. By the way, I'm a huge Joe Buck fan. Um, same, uh, same. I think he's I think he's, he's a fan. wonderful human being. Too, and he's so great yeah, to me. Exactly. And he doesn't need to be. Exactly. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> I've, I've written about him. I read his books. I, he's, he's wonderful. But yeah, so then, so if Nance goes, I think, you know, Ian Eagle, I mean, I, I'm sorry, forgive me. I, Ian Eagle. Yeah, agreed. Uh, yeah. They feel good there. I, I, I can't believe I said his name wrong. I've, that's all right. I've it's known early. how to pronounce his name. Yeah. And I slipped. But um, uh, yeah, he's, he's another one who, like, you know, Kenny Albert, he shouldn't be, he shouldn't continuously be getting passed over because he is phenomenal at everything he does. I mean, everything he does, but also when you have, so then just to take it to another sport, the NBA, we're waiting for them to announce like after Marv Albert goes on TNT, right? Is it going to be Brian Anderson or Ian Eagle or, 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 um, or, uh, or Kevin Harlan, who is a tremendous, tremendous fan favorite. Uh, you don't want to see him get passed over, but he also seems comfortable in his place. So there's still so much, you know, there's more turnover to come in the years ahead. And I'm just curious. Well, I just brought up the, you brought this up because I'm, I'm curious to see in what direction these networks go um, with their talent. A fun hypothetical. This is just for fun. Hypothetical. Let's say Nance goes and Eagle gets the job. And then five years or so pass and Buck steps down and Noah Eagle gets that job. And the number right. one, the number one uh, football voice on both networks is from the same family. Just a random hypothetical, but I heard his son is very good. That's tremendous. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> that's like thought. the Griffies, but yeah. on different teams. <laughs> right? Yeah. Just a thought. <laughs> uh, that could be interesting. Jeff, this has been great. Is there anything else you want to plug or anything else you want to mention before I let you go? Oh, it's nice of you to ask. You know, I write the column in the Sun-Times. Um, it goes online every Thursday afternoon. Uh, news is always breaking in sports media these days, so I always throw other stories on during the week. You know, I'm on Twitter. I, I try to be a good follow. <laughs> um, it, it's it's not always easy. to. Pe- I see people live on Twitter. I can't live on it, but I, I'm on it enough. Um, I just really appreciate you having me on, Steve. This was just a real treat. You know, a long-time listener. I appreciate that. Back five, ten years. That means a lot. Um, Thank you. Familiar with your work and the fact that, you know, I know who you've had on this show. And for you to ask, you know, for you to ask me to come on this is such a, a thrill because, you know, to follow in, like you said, Jack Buck, Kenny Albert, Peter King, Sean McDonough, um, a, a real treat for you to ask me. I, I really appreciate it. Well, we're we're two old school Rudy Martsky type guys, you know. Totally, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and I love geeking out on sports media, and you know the Chicago Sun Times. It's giving my friend Rob uh, Mish some work, which I love, and it's the paper yeah. of Ebert, right? The great Ebert, right? Um, yes, right. Uh, so I had to do it, nice and I appreciate it. Strong debut. Uh, can't wait to do it again soon. I'll be reaching out anytime, Steve. Thank you so much. I want to thank Jeff Agrist and Katie Baker for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can find today's episode of the Sportscasters and all episodes of the podcast on my SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com 
slash sports casters. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at sports underscore casters there. Email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com. I always appreciate a great email. Uh, don't forget about the 24-inch podcast, my other show uh, with Hollywood Dave Rollins and the beautiful Paula Bennett. Uh, we recently put up an episode featuring the Coliseum Home Video release Hulkamania 6 and focused on his match against Stan Hansen in the Tokyo Dome uh, at the number two, the number four inch podcast on Twitter at the number two, number four underscore inch underscore podcast on Instagram. Uh, number two, number four inch podcast at gmail.com for emails. And if you'd like to be a part of our Facebook group, just search 24 inch podcast there and uh, we'll find you and we will add you to the group there. And it's a really nice group. We're having a lot of fun. Uh, Dave posts every piece of wrestling news and I comment and we put the show descriptions for the sportscasters and for 24 inch on there. So join us. Uh, check it out. Don't forget to check out my friend Peter Winson and his awesome show, Greetings from Allentown. Uh, you can find out information about Peter's show at GF Allentown Pod. And he put up a new one on Tuesday, a rare Tuesday release uh, about All-Star Wrestling 119-1985. Jesse Ventura's debut on commentary. Kind of a legendary show there. And he just recently, also his other show, Greetings from Allentown Live, which has 75 episodes already, which is nuts. Uh, him and Keithy posted their SummerSlam 1991 Part 1 uh, review. So really great stuff going on, as always, uh, in Allentown with Peter. Also, don't forget to check out my friend Adrian Dater. He's at Dater on Twitter. Colorado Hockey Now is his website. Uh, if you're an Avalanche fan and you're not there, you're nowhere. Uh, I also wanted to mention the Place to Be Nation, and I'm really excited about this. So, uh, Place to Be Nation is a wrestling podcast. It's actually a wrestling podcast network, uh, but the Place to Be Nation, Place to Be Nation flagship show, uh, is one that is 10 years old. It debuted around the same time as the Sportscasters, and it's hosted by two really great guys, Justin Rosero in Rhode Island and Scott Criscolo uh, in Connecticut, and they were nice enough to allow me. To host that show. Uh, I'm the first person not named Scott or Justin to host the flagship show. Uh, and I did so with my friend John D'Amato. And we interviewed Scott and Justin for about 45 minutes about their friendship. About uh, this reboot project that they spent the last six years on. Uh, and then we had some fun with pop culture and some awards for that project. And it's a great uh, podcast. But first of all, I just want to thank Justin and Scott for letting me do that and encourage you to check it out. Place to be nation uh, is the name of that podcast. And uh, there's links on my Twitter to it. And, uh, and um, there's a link as well on the 24 inch podcast page, Facebook page. I want to put something there as well. So I'll make sure to do that. Uh, so those are the plugs. Uh, don't forget that on next week's podcast or the next podcast will be that interview with Rich Podolsky that I recorded today as well. And I'm telling you right now, it was a fantastic debut. Jeff today and Rich next week, two great uh, debuts, and I can't thank them enough about it. All right, one last thing for me today, and I want to talk for a second about Halloween. Uh, and I've talked about this a little bit in the past. Uh, growing up, Halloween was not that big of a deal in my family. 
my brothers and I are not huge chocolate people or candy people. I mean, I like a candy bar now and again, and you know, I'm picking at Paula's Halloween candy all the time, but I'm not a big chocolate guy. You know, like I remember many years on Easter, for example, getting a wrestling magazine in my basket instead, or, you know, whatever. I'm just not a huge, huge chocolate guy. And Halloween was just never big in my family, maybe because it was during hockey season or whatever. I would usually go out trick-or-treating one night maybe for a half hour, 45 minutes. I was never a big costume guy. Although when I was a kid in grammar school, I used to go to a Halloween party at my grammar school, Northwood Elementary in West Seneca with my friend Jeff Kolpa and Rob Carrick and Jeff Stakowski. Shout out to those guys, although I really only talked to Jeff Kolpa still. Uh, and there was a costume party there, and I would go and spend all day in a Rite Aid picking out the perfect plastic costume with a He-Man mask or whatever one I got. And I go to this thing and think I'm winning first place in the costume contest. And I never won. It was always some kid whose parents made him a costume. You know, they were a crayon or, you know, they were this or they were that. They were a fire truck, you know, first place. It's like uh, I always thought it was rubbish. But I wanted to win so bad. So one year my mom and I came up with the idea. My mom said, you're never going to win by buying those costumes at the store. You know, you see what wins. It's these homemade things. we got to come up with an idea. So we came up with the idea for me to be a bowling ball. And what we did is we took one of those big blash, black trash bags and pulled it over my head and stuck my arms through and wrote Brunswick on it, stuffed me with newspaper, and I looked like a bowling ball. And I went in there and I won third place, which is good enough to really satisfy me. Uh, I thought I should have won first. The other two co- you know, costumes sucked compared to the bowling ball. Bowling ball is one of the best costumes ever besides shower. Uh, but that's another story entitled, entirely. Uh, but other than that, and the occasional middle school, there's a friend, Scott Dominique, who always had a party. Uh, but I was just never a big Halloween guy. My brothers weren't either. Paula is a big Halloween person, okay? And part of this is because of Tammy. Uh, since Paula was a, her first Halloween, so this is what she's been so far. Minnie Mouse, her first year. Elephant, her second year, which is my all-time favorite. Um, she's been, oh, what was she after Elephant? Elephant, oh, Doc McStuffings, the year after that. Last year, she was Vampirina. Uh, and this year now, she has been Incredibles or something. Incredibles. I don't know what Incredible, but I know it's Incredibles. So <laughs> she loves it. And it's because she doesn't just go trick-or-treating like on the 30th or the 31st. Today, I don't know the date, the 20th or something. She's already been in her costume into three different Halloween events. She goes trick-or-treating at the mall. She goes to trunk or treat. She was at the canal trick-or-treating. She's going to go on Halloween. She's going to go to the mall, all the different malls. It's just insane. And she's in her costume, out of her costume, back in her costume. I mean, she loves it. She loves dressing up. She loves getting the candy. She doesn't, she's not a big candy eater. Uh, she doesn't like chocolate at all. She's more into like the Skittles and the licorice and things like that. So, which is great for me because I eat the Milky Way, Three Musketeers, Snicker bars, all that. I get all that if I want it. But one thing we're doing this year, and this is kind of really what it's about, is we're her school is having a trunk or treat festival or whatever. And you can sign up to have a car in it. 
and we decided we're going to do that. Now, we had went to it last year because one of Tammy's cousins has a son who's one year ahead of Paul or two, and they did it last year. So we went and drove through and checked out their trunk or treat and voted for them to be the winners. And so we knew about the event. We've been to it last year. And Paul has been real excited when she's in kindergarten at the school this year that she'd get to do it. So when it came time to deciding, and we talked a little bit about this on the 24-inch podcast, if you listen to that as well. When it came down to deciding what we were going to do, and it was totally Paula's choice, believe me. She decided she wanted to do an 80s wrestling trunk or treat. We had just watched the Saturday Night's main event from Halloween in 1985. And she loves that, and she wanted to do that. So we're going to have that episode playing on our iPod. We're going to have our wrestlers set up. We got a cool backdrop. We're using uh, pool noodles as our ring posts, and it's going to be awesome. And I just can't wait. And, you know, I'm still not the biggest Halloween guy in the world, but I'll tell you what. I love to see my girl in her costume, and I love to see my girl happy like that. And I love that she loves it. And I love that she wants me to be a part of it. You know, what's something I'm really trying to do is appreciating that she wants me around right now. Because I know that's probably not forever. You know, I know there's going to be a time where she's just going to want to be with her friends. You know, then there's going to be a time where she's going to be, you know, having her own family and be married and whatever. But right now, she wants to be with dad and wants dad to be around. And if that means me dressing up as Hulk Hogan and creating a trunk or treat with her, I'm all in on that. You know, and I feel so blessed to be able to do it with her. And it's such a great part about being a dad, not only being able to show Paula the things that made my childhood great, uh, but her giving me a second chance to maybe appreciate some of the things I didn't when I was a child. And Halloween's maybe an example of that because doing it as a dad was a million times better than doing it as a kid for me, you know? And I just love telling her how beautiful she looks in her costume, you know? And I just love going out there with her We've trick-or-treated in the pouring rain already once. She didn't care one bit. Dad held the umbrella over her and got her to as many houses as we could until we were all soaking wet. And it's true of most things. I think if you put this sentence out, blank is better with Paula. You could almost fill anything in. You know, just about everything in my life is better with Paula in it. And Halloween is one of those things that You know, I'm just being honest. I didn't love as a kid, but now as a dad, I just love so much taking a part in some of these events with her. And I still can't do a a mall (laughs) or more than one mall a season. Uh, But of course, I do the trick-or-treating and we're going to do this trunk-or-treat and do a few more. So I'm excited for it. And I appreciate everybody for listening.